Hello, everybody. Dr. Ron Dalrymple back with Mind Shock, the Endless Question. Today we're talking about the Genius Series again, some of the great geniuses in history and how they evolved into that profound state of consciousness. I'm talking about Sir Francis Bacon. Today is the Genius Series, Sir Francis Bacon, Part 3. As you recall, Bacon was born, the firstborn, unacknowledged son of Queen Elizabeth I, born in 1561. He was raised, of course, in the court and whatnot. She brought him the greatest mentors in the world. So he had a gifted DNA, naturally. The queen was very brilliant herself. He was also the son of Robert Dudley, who had been her lover for years. They married four months before Francis was born. They were married by Nicholas Bacon, allegedly, who was her close friend, who was a keeper of the seal, who became the adopted father of Francis. So it was all kept secret because she was the Virgin Queen. Now, Sir Francis was raised in a court, got the best education in the world. His mind was evolving brilliantly. Remember, at the age of 15, there was a big fight in the court against Robert Cecil, his adopted cousin, who called him the bastard son of the Queen repeatedly. They got into a fight, then Robert Cecil swore revenge against him, said, you are my lifelong enemy, and I will seek always to destroy you. And he did for many, many decades that all he could destroy Francis. So Francis, as a protagonist of the story, of his own story, had a very powerful antagonist. The entire Cecil family lined up against him and tried to sabotage and stop him all along the way because he threatened back Robert Cecil and said, once I attain the kingship, because he was going to be the king, allegedly, he hoped that he would deal with the Cecils. So they knew if he took the king, took the throne as king, that they were in big trouble. In any case, here he was, a young man in great despair, when discovering that he was the son of the queen, he was sent to Paris at the age of 15 through the ages of 18, 15, 18, where he met Marguerite de Navarre and Henry and the entire court of Paris. And many of the great luminaries of Europe were there, attracted to the court at the time because it was the center of the new Renaissance evolving, a new reawakening, a new rebirth of thought and consciousness, breaking free of the thousand years of darkness, the dark ages of the enslavement of mankind, of tyrannical forces in terms of church and varying states trying to evolve and create their power. In any case, he was open to many, many ideas there, awakened many ideas, and eventually returned to London at the age of 18, having learned much from his experiences in Paris. So it was a profound self-revelation for him, put him on a new path. He once said that his muse or his higher self, which he found through meditation, concentration, and prayer told him, advised him to start writing plays about what he had learned, plays about the court, the system, the philosophy of the time, so he could bring his ideas, insights, and thoughts to the world, which he did. So through this higher self, his muse, he wrote what became known as a Shakespearean plays. He used William Shakespeare as a front because he dare not take his own name. The queen had warned him about not doing anything publicly or to expose the fact that he was her true son, her possible pain of death. And she meant business. Remember, she was the daughter of Henry VIII. Henry VIII had ruled from 1509 to 1547, an absolute tyrant. He had six wives. He chopped off two of their heads. His first daughter was from his marriage to Catherine of Aragon. That was Mary. She became known as Bloody Mary killed many people. Henry killed many people. So did Mary. Elizabeth took the throne afterwards. 
with his daughter of Anne Boleyn. She also had executed many people. So Francis knew he could not cross her. He was raised in a world of tyranny and very powerful forces. In any case, it gave him the determination to succeed against all odds. And now we want to go into what happened after this point that he returned back to London and his mother pretty much told him he had to go through law school. So he went to a place called Gray's Inn, the law school of those times. He studied with mentors of other students. He also had an interesting interaction with his actual brother, Robert Devereux, who became the Earl of Essex, also born of Elizabeth, second son of Elizabeth and Robert Dudley. So this was his younger brother. Robert Devereux was really kind of a character. He probably was a bipolar disorder. He had fits of mania, of high energy, of great grandeur, but also fits of depression in between. In any case, he was given by Elizabeth to Lettuce Nollis, the wife of Sir Walter Devereux to raise. And shortly later, he, he moved elsewhere, but he was raised in the ranks of great nobility and appeared at the court at a much younger age than Francis was allowed to. In any case, he became the young Earl of Essex, Robert. And he had, he had a very interesting part in Francis' story. Soon after Robert came to the Cecils, he was sent up to Trinity Cambridge, the same college that Francis had left 18 months earlier. This is a school that was created in large part by Henry VIII. Now, the adopted brother of Francis was Anthony, Anthony Bacon. These two are very close friends. And they and others formed a writer's group called the Aeropagus, which is very important because they began translating all the great works of the world from Greek and Latin into English. According to Dodd, a researcher on Bacon, Francis also brought to England the seeds of what became the Masonic Orders and the Rosicrucian Orders in London. So this would have been around 1576, 77, and much of the material written for the various degrees in Masonry, Rosicrucianism, for example, greatly reflect Shakespearean type writing with great allegories and imagery and poetry written by Bacon. In any case, while at Gray's Inn, studying the law, as his mother had ordered because he needed some kind of front to earn money, you see his great genius, who was the son of the queen, who couldn't tell anybody under pain of death, who was forced to live a more, oh, more life of uh, mediocrity in a sense. He had to become a lawyer so he could earn a living in those days, but not tell anybody he was the son of the queen. So he had to keep his identity hidden. So he began writing the Shakespearean plays around the same time, or shortly thereafter. And as he rose up through the ranks of London and whatnot, he, after he got his law degree, he became part of the House of Commons. He was first elected in 1581, re-elected in 1584. And while the Cecils, the Robert Cecil family, were trying their best to sabotage and destroy him, they're constantly plotting against him. So you can imagine what he dealt with. He had constant enemies, constant opponents, inspired by brilliant ideas. He had his circle of friends and whatnot, all of whom had to keep secret what they were doing. So he supervised all these writers in his group, began creating these great works of the world. In fact, some say that the English language was really created then, as it became today, as a written language. It, he and his group created a very, very powerful force for the world. And they used the Gutenberg Press that had been invented back in the 1400s distribute his, his books and works throughout the world. So it was quite a remarkable time. 
Now, Francis, with his his people, created what he called the Scriptorium at a small place called Twickenham, right across the river, right across the Thames from the Queen. So he could travel back and forth to see his mother. Of course, she acknowledged by that point that he was her son, so they would meet and so forth. But they had to keep it on the QT. Meanwhile, because he was supporting this whole group and had very little income, he was constantly in financial trouble. So here's a young man who should have been one of the richest people in the world at that time, could barely squeak by. He was helped by his adopted brother, Anthony Bacon, and others to pay for translation of play, plays, to pay for the place where they lived, to pay for everything, and to put the plays on, which cost a lot of money. So he had many opponents and no help from the crown. So think about that, the frustration he must have felt. Imagine if you were in his shoes, what that would have felt like. So in 1593, things were very desperate, and all their hopes seemed to be gone. He appealed to Lady Anne, his adopted mother, the mother of Anthony Bacon, and she was able to help them through the times. He almost was arrested for 300 pounds by Mr. Simpson, a goldsmith. So here's a prince of royal blood who almost was thrown into debtor's prison. In fact, he was the son of the queen. Imagine that. Now, Robert Devereux's life, his brother, followed a very different course. He inherited the title of the Earl of Essex at the age of nine when his father, adopted father died. And he was quite a character, like I said. He loved to go off into military operations and ride off the great hero of the battle. But in reality, he could not think straight enough as a bipolar to really plan battles or win a campaign on his own. He had lots and lots of help. So he had a very gallant, stunning disposition. People loved him. His mother, the queen, loved him. But he was constantly fighting with her. He had huge mood swings as a bipolar, but erupted her at times, even yelled at her in court, for which almost anybody else would have been executed, but he got away with it. Many people knew, of course, he was her true son. People in the court know, but the general public did not. Now, Robert Cecil also became, as I said before, an enemy of Robert Devereux. And so it was apparently Sir Walter Raleigh, who many claim was quite arrogant. He also had very pretensions to the queen. Many people in those days did. They were constantly vying for power with the monarchy. They had to suck up, become some of a sycophant to win favor, to get power and wealth. So many were fighting for that power. And Essex was going off at times. Now, he and Elizabeth were very close. He said battling back and forth. So Bacon's dilemma is he, he was in the middle of these battles, saying they were at mortal war. This became the the fiery storm that, that created many of his stories. Many of his great stories came from what he directly experienced. Romeo and Juliet, from his experiences in Paris, where he fell in love with Marguerite of Navarre, we talked about earlier. Also warring families involved. So the, the basis, the substrate of the stories are found in his actual experiences. Now his younger brother, Robert, was given various lucrative grants, so he became quite wealthy, such as the farm of sweet wines where he could impose a duty, import tax upon wine, which made him very wealthy. Meanwhile, Anthony moved into Essex House with Lord Robert. They had many adventures. Those two and Francis were like the, the three young lads, often about London, full of energy, bright, brilliant, the head of creating these plays, although much of that was kept on a QT, like I said. In any case, they were working towards trying to liberate the world. It was, it was Francis' idea to create the whole, whole new wide world of liberty, of thought, of energy, of creativity, which contradicted, of course, the monarchy of those days. 
controlled by his mother. He didn't want to crown himself. He said this many times. Like when she was dying, he didn't fight to gain the crown, but he was simply content to try to use his influence, his creative power to recreate the world, which he did with all those who helped him. Meanwhile, the Cecils were ever working to sabotage them and set them back. And his opponents became more and more powerful over time. In fact, Robert Cecil, his enemy, eventually became Queen Elizabeth, his mother, Francis Francis Bacon's mother, the chief minister, became her chief minister. This is amazing. So here's the one who is trying to destroy Francis, who is the son of the queen, who maneuvered his way into being her chief advisor. Incredible. You can imagine how Francis felt about this, knowing that he had knives constantly being stuck into his back. And the mother, unfortunately, bought into a lot of it and believed it. So we can see here the influence again of many of his brilliant plays that came from these very bizarre but powerful relationships. In fact, the Cecils blocked Francis Bacon's appointment to attorney general later on. They sabotaged him, blocked him. They blocked his rising up through the system. Very paranoid about the power he might eventually gain that could be used against him. In any case, Francis was rebuffed many times. His mother appointed people ahead of him for various positions. Upon the advice of the Cecils, being manipulated by them, much to Francis's chagrin. In any case, eventually, Robert, Robert Devereux and Francis and Anthony and others worked to create the, now the world-famous Globe Theater. became famous eventually because that's where many Shakespearean plays were put on. They built that remains of an old playhouse, opened in 1599 with the play Julius Caesar. I remember Francis had to keep these very secretive from the Queen so she would not know he was a true author and creator of these productions. So in order to finance a project, they'd split up the shares among many different people. So half was retained by a group called the Burbages, and the other five, five individuals, got 10% each. That was William Shakespeare, the real Shakespeare, John Hemminges, Austin Teen Phillips, William Kemp, and Thomas Pope, according to Virginia Fellows book, which is quite brilliant, as a Shakespeare code, a Shakespeare code. That's a reference on that. But in any case, Shakespeare got his 10% and he maneuvered his way to have his name put up on the plays. Although other sources say the actual owner of the Globe was Anthony, Anthony Bacon behind the scenes. The Globe is also a symbol used by Francis in scriptorium, though in fact they want to illuminate the entire, the entire world, the whole wide world, as Francis said, so their plays had a universal nature and appeal. Now, the character of Falstaff in his plays was a satiric figure representing Shakespeare, according to many, that he was lampooning the real Shakespeare with an individual who was poorly, often intoxicated, caught off from playing the fool, and that in real life, the real Shakespeare was a bit of a character. He was funny, but he certainly did not have the talent that Bacon had. Now, by this time, Ben Johnson, a famous writer, had joined Bacon's team become one of his good pens, as it were called, and secretary entrusted with translating some of Bacon's works into Latin. So there many great writers in the day helping this group out. So moving on from that, we now see that they're building their, their forces, as it were, their literary forces. 
They're recreating the Renaissance from Europe in London, taking to further levels. Meanwhile, Shakespeare was acquiring new properties, was making money in the malt business and in money lending. So he became rather wealthy. In fact, he created nothing. But he's a front man for the plays. So my character, which represented William Shakespeare, was supposedly Sir Toby Belch, who's a master liar from Twelfth Night, who Shakespeare actually uh, represented, another lampooning by, of course, uh, Bacon and his group. So anyway, they, they found a lot of humor in this, and it, the place became extremely popular. However, the play came out at one point called The Isle of Dogs, a political satire. It was written by Thomas Nash and Ben Johnson, which had been playing at the Swan Theater. It was described as seditious and slanderous. So the queen was very privy to some of these plays, realizing they were attacking her crown, the authority of the crown. But some mentioned that it might have been her son behind it. She refused to believe her son could hang out with such low lives in the theater, as she said. No, he's born of royal blood. He cannot do that. But then again, there's a way for him to express his ideas, bring him to the world. In any case, that play was uh, attacked by the queen and so forth. And at some point, Cecil, Robert Cecil, the backstabber of Bacon, went to the queen and gave her his suspicions to make his accusations against Francis. Elizabeth accused Cecil, saying that he was jealous of Bacon and was constantly trying to undermine whatever he did, which is certainly true. So she saw through him. She was nobody's fool. But she could not believe that her son could be involved with actors and lowlifes in the theater. Interesting, huh? So after being blocked for Solicitor General by the Queen, he had another great self-revelation that some men become great by advancement, some achieve greatness by reason of their wit, take the current when it serves. So he put a lot of great insights into his plays. Now in 1596, Robert Devereux had a chance to prove himself to the Queen. The Spanish had taken Calais, Calais you might remember from World War II, is right across from England, closest part across the channel, channel, which the English could ill afford to have in the hands of an enemy. So the Queen appointed Essex, along with Lord Admiral Howard, as joint commanders of a force to attack Cadiz, which was in Spain itself. Sir Walter Raleigh was given subordinate command. Essex carried out the land attack, supposedly, and one, which bolstered his ego, was believed that the other People involved, more military rulers were actually a big part of the success. So in any case, the queen immediately criticized Essex because the bounty looted from the Spaniards had not been covered, had not covered the cost of the campaign, and why hadn't they captured a Spanish treasure brought back from the New World? Ship, ships that were full of silver and gold stolen from the New World. And the queen was threatened apparently by his new fame and popularity. So animosity was building between this much beloved son of her, hers, Robert Devereux, and the queen. And the Cecils, of course, used this to their advantage. He constantly tried to turn the queen against both her sons. They're forever scheming and manipulating behind the scenes, trying to sabotage them with their own mother. In any case, at one point in court, 
Robert Devereux had a fight with his mother. He rolled around upon his heel, turned his back on her, preparing to stride from the room. Now, you don't do that to a sovereign. You don't turn your back on a sovereign and stride out of the room. You do so as you risk your own life. This made her furious. So she let loose a volley of oaths and apparently even boxed his ears. And he went berserk. Very, very interesting. Meanwhile, around the same time, Francis published the first work under his real name, 1597. So he started to publish under his own name, but various types of works, which uh, are of a scientific nature and a philosophical nature. So he's constantly putting out thoughts and ideas, both through his plays and through his other publications to help change the world. In any case, later on, there's a problem in Ireland. There's a rebellious Irish leader named Tyrone, whom the Queen sent Robert Devereux over to deal with and to quell. And she was wringing her hands and whatnot while he was there and worried about it because she realized she, she made a mistake. No doubt that Robert Devereux was just too out of control to really plan a military campaign properly. So here was a counterpart in the sense of Shakespeare's Cleopatra. She's worried constantly. The queen is wringing her hands and so forth. So it's believed the character and personality Cleopatra and Anthony Cleopatra was patterned after the fire Elizabeth herself. In any case, the Irish chieftain Hugh O'Neill, the Earl of Tyrone, was making all kinds of demands upon the British. And Robert's paranoid bipolar state of mind, he could not concentrate upon battle plans. He was wasting all kinds of money. He kept knighting more and more troops, be knighting more and more troops, to the point of absurdity, not knowing what to do. He created some 170 new knights. So he was lost pretty much in his bipolar world and was involved in self-destruction. In any case, at one point he did meet with the rebel chief Tyrone. They suppose he sat upon their two horses and talked for a while, and Essex basically conceded everything to the Irish. It's in 1599. He had no idea what he was doing. In any case, the Queen was furious. He returned back to London, begged her forgiveness. She more or less forgave him, but there was tremendous, tremendous distance in between them. So psychologically, things were evolving or devolving in the family, the secret family. Robert, of course, was self-destructing. Francis observed the whole thing, was horrified to see his brother destroy himself, little by little by little. He was pleading the case of his brother to his mother. Eventually, she rebuked him and told him she heard enough of it, stopped standing up for him, she won't hear any more of it. Meanwhile, Essex made more insulting remarks about his mother, most insulting remarks which she heard about. So die was cast. In any case, one night, one day, Essex was a group of people in a pub. Some 300 people joined him. They were talking up big, big shot talk while they were drunk, talking about overthrowing the crown. He's going to take, take control of the crown himself. And he goes marching off in the street, leading this crowd of people, the great bipolar manic leader, marching towards the palace. Well, by the time they reached the palace, the 300 people in the crowd had dwindled to about 20 people. When they reached the gates of the palace, Virtually all of them disappeared, except Robert. Robert was let through. He was recognized by the guards as the son of the queen. So he went up to her room, struck her runes in a bold way, basically fell apart. She was furious. 
And she's also angry at Francis for many reasons. So she created a situation that was most bizarre. Francis, of course, was an attorney by then. And she forced Francis to prosecute his own younger brother for his attempt to overthrow the government. Remember, this is a bipolar attempt. He had no idea what he was doing. It was bizarre. But the queen had to save face, could not admit that this was her son. So she had her son, Francis, the brilliant Francis Bacon, prosecute in court his own younger brother. Unbelievable. So when trial was over, Essex, Robert, was found guilty. It's a very bizarre situation. So he's led from the jury room with the guard's axe, supposedly pointing towards him, and taken to the tower, the infamous Tower of London. Very, very bizarre story. So in any case, Essex had been pulled down by vicious enemies that Elizabeth had been programmed for a long time to turn against her son. And that his own bipolar behavior, of course, played a big role in it. In any case, Francis was heartbroken about it and wrote about it in his plays, of course, in a hidden form. He was heartbroken over the role he had to play to prosecute his own brother. Imagine having to do that. Yet this was what fomented such brilliant, powerful emotions and imagery and symbolism and so forth in the Shakespearean plays. His own brother was executed. Francis was horrified by this. Of course, he knew that if you cross your mother, if you cross the queen, rather, that that was very, very dangerous. The palace was known to be trying to bite the heads on pikes of her enemies. In any case, Francis became more withdrawn, more depressed, no doubt. And later on, Elizabeth found out that Robert had sent a ring, a signet ring, given to him by his mother, which she gave him years before, saying, if you ever need my help, send this to me. He sent it to her, but it was blocked by Lord Nottingham, and Lady Nottingham blocked it, did not give it to her. Later, Elizabeth found out was furious and refused to forgive them. She was enraged that they had blocked it. So here again, we have the, the substrate of many of the great plays. There's Lady Macbeth, remember, constantly wringing her hands, trying to wash away the blood. It's believed that this was a satire, in a sense, or a characterization of his own mother, Elizabeth, the horrible guilt she felt over having to execute her own son. So Robert based you know, his life upon his high high energy, his mania, his depression. He was out of control pretty much. He was spoiled by the court. He was spoiled by various factors of, as a young man. But Francis had a much more solid point of view. But he went through these terrible, terrible emotions to get rid of the substrate of his brilliant works. Remember Lady Macbeth, out damn spot, out I say, one, two, why, then tis time to do it. Hell is murky. What will these hands never be clean? So brilliant, brilliant stuff, written by Sir Francis Bacon, under the name of William Shakespeare. In any case, his mother died, the queen died in 1603. The situation was manipulated to deny the throne to Francis. Instead, it went to James VI of Scotland, became James I of England. He was the son of Mary, Queen of Scots, interestingly. So more about that next time, folks. So again, the incredible life of Sir Francis Bacon, which is little known to the public, but it played a huge role in how the Western world evolved because Francis also drew up the Charter for the Commonwealth of Virginia, which was the English settlement in America, which went from what is now the Carolinas up, in, up towards New England. 
so that they could also garner the gold and the silver from the new world and establish their place here. And he sent many people here, which helped to create the American democracy. As Bacon knew, we had to do something far better than the monarchies of Europe. He saw the horrors of Henry VIII, of Mary and his own mother, the damage they did. To get beyond monarchy, he and many others wanted to create democracy. So they played a huge role in creating America. So folks, more about that next time. Thanks very much. This is Dr. Ron Dalrymple on Mind Shocking on this question. Check out our books on Amazon. Eight Days of Creative Power, The Inner Manager, I Love You, God, and of course, Quantum Field Psychology. In our film, the two-hour documentary, The Endless Question about the true powers of the mind, who we are as energy beings, which Bacon knew about. And we'll get to that later, how he knew about metaphysical aspects that science and spirit merge as one. He talks about it in his plays and also in his scientific works. So we're at next time, folks. Thanks very much, Dr. Ron Dalrymple, The Endless Question. Signing off for today. Talk to you next time.